They recognized a resonance between the American poet Carl Sandburg and composer Johann Sebastian Bach. In poem 16 of his collection, The People, Yes, Sandberg cites as a source of hope in troubled times the music of Bach in a radio broadcast from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. The Bach Choir of Bethlehem was drawn to this poem, Hope is a Tattered Flag, not just because it refers to the choir in that way, but also because of the context of that reference. Carl Sandberg wrote poem 16 in the midst of the Depression, when there was little hope to be found among the American people. So he wrote verses to reach the people. Yes, everyone. And he believed Bach's music is not for the few, but the many, like his own poetic words. And so the Bach Choir of Bethlehem commissioned a setting of the Sandberg poem from the esteemed American composer Stephen Paulus as a most fitting tribute to Greg Fumfgeld, now retired music director and conductor of the Bach Ensembles. As a tribute to him, yes, but also it would seem as a recognition on the part of the Bach Choir of Bethlehem that what they offer is for everyone. They trust Bach's music to speak to, to touch all those hungry for hope and peace in their lives and in the world. There's no better embodiment of that vision, perhaps, than the annual Bethlehem Bach Festival, now in its 115th year. We had a chance to speak by phone with Christopher Jackson, the new music director of the Bach Choir and the Bach Festival Orchestra. This will be Dr. Jackson's first festival, and we asked him to set the stage. The festival occurs over two weekends, and we have identical programming on both weekends so that people can come on whatever ever weekend really works out best for them. Or, you know, if they happen to live close enough in the area and they can catch one Friday and then next weekend Saturday. But I truly recommend that people check out everything that the festival has to offer. We're in a couple of locations that are very close to each other. We're at the campus of Lehigh University, which is a gorgeous liberal arts campus, and many of our concerts take place in Packer Church, which, um, again, is just an absolutely beautiful, beautiful stone church. And then the other events take place in historic downtown Bethlehem. So we have great transportation to take people from these events to to the next event. And our, our events even include things like luncheons and dinners and special lectures from our guest artist and our featured scholar. And I want to paint a full picture of the weekend. So you have meals, you have lectures in beautiful locations, and then four or five completely different concerts. We have a choice for people at 4 p.m. on Friday. We have an 8 p.m. concert on Friday. And then Saturday morning is also a completely different concert. And then, of course, it's capped off by our tradition, which is to perform the B minor Mass on Saturday afternoon. In terms of just talking about the festival as an entity, how did you first learn about a Bach festival? You were a Bach lover, but you were out in the middle of the country and you were in Arizona. What filtered through to you as a Bach lover about the Bach choir and the festival? Well, you know, it really, it took until I moved to the East Coast. And then there's just this buzz in the air 
about this Bach Festival and having now worked on it to make it happen and having spent a lot of time reading about the history of the Bach Festival, uh, it's really clear now to me why the knowledge of the Bach Festival or its sort of reputation runs as an undercurrent, certainly through Pennsylvania, but I also think really up and down the, the eastern seaboard. You've already tipped us off to the fact that it's not just like a holiday concert where you go hear, say, the St. Matthew Passion. This is a rounded presentation of music of Bach, so we get to have a taste of some of the various facets, and we fall in love even more deeply, perhaps. Absolutely. So throughout the festival, you really hear such a wide range of performing forces. So, of course, we have the, the monumental B minor mass. <laughs> you know, it has a, a large orchestra. And, of course, the, the Bach choir itself is, is a choir of, of around 85 people. And you go from that, you could go all the way to the polar opposite end of the spectrum. We have this wonderful event on the first weekend this year, on Saturday night. It's uh, Zimmerman's Coffee House. And, you know, it's styled after, of course, Zimmerman's Coffee House, which Bach would have gone to, to learn news and drink a little beer and perform some, some occasional music. And for that event, we actually have local high school and college students audition, and they perform solo pieces on their instrument or, or vocal solos. And so you can come and hear more intimate solo music at that event, and then, of course, it's, it's got its antipode in the, the Mass in B minor. And, and really, everything throughout the Bach at Four concerts feature much smaller instrumental ensembles and a select group from the choir. So you really will get a, a wide range if you attend. Fill us in on your special guests. I mean, we have, we have a really great lineup of special guests. Dr. Michael Mao is our scholar who will be visiting this year, and he runs the Bachfest in Leipzig. So that is his full-time job, but he is also a Bach scholar. And he'll be coming to speak about an aria that he unearthed, that he found in, uh, in the 21st century. I think it was about 10 years ago, probably now, maybe a little longer. But he actually found a new work of Bach's that is quite clever. If you arrange the first letters of every verse in this aria, it ends up spelling a special birthday message, which is really fascinating. But he'll be coming and lecturing on that. Our artist-in-residence for the festival is cellist Loretta O'Sullivan. She's played with the orchestra for a long time, but I, I just have to say that she is a dream to conduct. And I, I started my job here by hearing her play some of the unaccompanied cello suites, and I, I just knew at that time that this was the person that I wanted to make music with in my first festival. So she'll be our artist-in-residence performing CPE Bach's Cello Concerto in A minor, which for those of you, if you don't know that piece yet, I highly recommend looking it up. Uh, it is as close to rock music, I think, as you can get from, uh, from music of that time. And then we, we have wonderful soloists, many familiar faces for people who have been to the festival before. So we have Sherry Pantaki sing soprano, Meg Bragel sing alto, and I've told Meg this many times, but she happens to be on many of my most favorite recordings of Bach that I listen to. <laughs> Tenor Benjamin Butterfield, baritone Bill Sharp, who is, is 
for those of you who know American soloists who have been performing Bach for a while, he's he's just one of the finest. And then a lovely new bass baritone to our festival, whose name is Edmund Milley. Edmund and I have actually known each other for a while. We've sung together out in the professional world, but he continues to ascend and uh, is, is just an exquisite bass baritone. And he'll be joining us fresh this year. There is something about this festival and the fact that you do the B minor Mass twice. I've often heard people talk about making a pilgrimage to Bethlehem to take part in the Bach Festival. So it's a tradition in families to come back to the Bach Festival and never tire of it ever. Yeah, that's true. Luckily, there's this really amazing book by author and scholar Paul Larson that is a history of the Bach Choir of Bethlehem. And one of the things that I've learned from, from looking at this book is exactly what you're talking about, this sort of yearly pilgrimage for people. And I'm struck by how perhaps rare or uncommon a yearly pilgrimage might be unless they really felt that it was transformative to be here. And the more I've learned about the organization, I, I think I can put my finger on it some of the aspects that make it transformative to to be a part of this festival. The Bach Choir and the festival were started really with roots in this sort of American idealism that, that art and community would make a rich life worth living. And the choir organized itself really even around these principles you know, there were there were a handful of people who who wanted to form a choir, and then there was the the conductor J. Fred Wally, who was obsessed with the works of Bach, and all of this really coincided at just the right time, where community members very actively and willingly came together to undertake something that they knew was tremendous. J. Fred Wally knew that the the B minor Mass had never been performed in the United States. And these kind of intrepid community members uh, were even hesitant at first to, to try and take something like this on. But through this sort of group um, spirit of, you know what, we can do this, this uplifting spirit, they, they, they did it. They accomplished it. They, the group grew from 30 singers to 80 singers uh, to take on the project, and it wound up being wildly successful. And I think that spirit of communal action is is part of what continues to live on this day. And, it, and it's what people see when they come and hear the Bach Choir of Bethlehem, this root kind of projected into the future. And it's it's an amazing combination of of community effort and great art that gives you a very special feeling. And yet the atmosphere is picnic-like, isn't it? Sometimes you walk around the beautiful grounds, it's the most beautiful time of the year, and people run into old friends or make new friends and uh, get a sense that you all do it lightly, with a light touch. You're serious as it can be, but you also have a lovely light touch. I think what you're speaking about, I, I really agree, but that, that actually goes back to two two things. One, this sense of community that I've told you about, that this coming from community action and a desire for the community to have access to great art, that gives it, it, it takes away a certain serious element that I think sometimes keeps people away from 
away from art when they're, they don't want it to be as heavy as that. They don't need it to be kind of prohibitively extra-cultural, but they want to see it as a part of everyday life. And I think the other thing that's really fascinating is this festival at its root really was meant for all Americans. Again, I, I started by talking about American idealism, and part of that is that we as a society have access to great art, that every person in our, in our society, in our community. And so this idea you said about picnicking, people would sit on the lawn outside of the, the church where we perform the B minor Mass, and the doors would be thrown open wide so people who couldn't afford a ticket would still be able to sit and, and enjoy the weather and hear the concert. And that, that, I know, is part of that spirit that you're talking about at our festival. And, it, of course, the Lehigh campus is just so beautiful. It's hard to keep from, from throwing an a impromptu picnic while you're there anyway. Certainly, the B minor Mass is a monumental work. Tell us a little bit about your experience with the B minor Mass up to this point and how you've been trying to get ready for two performances. So I have so much to say about what I think is the average person's relationship to the B minor Mass. And uh, I want to use a couple of stories to help with this. I recently, I think I've I've told you before in in some of our conversations that a lot of my professional musical life has been as a singer. I did a lot of professional choral work and occasionally I would would do solos as well. Well, just this year, I was hired by the Baldwin-Wallace Bach Festival to be a part of their chorus as they performed B minor, but also to be a a soloist for, for the B minor. I got to sing the lovely lower baritone solo, the, the quonium in the B minor mass. And when I was there, I was singing with other fully professional musicians for whom this was their first time singing the B minor mass. And these folks are, you know, in their late 20s or early 30s. And I think it's so important for people to understand that the opportunity to perform or to hear the B minor mass live is so rare. You could have somebody who, who's fully a professional musician make it until, until their, their middle-aged years without this opportunity. So that's something that I want to point out to folks, the, the real, actual, miraculous rarity of a performance. And then for me now to prepare these things, I have been obsessed with, with Bach and, and with the B minor mass for quite a long time. And so I really only have this tremendous sense of excitement now to finally dive in and execute the ideas that I've been dreaming of for for years and years. This piece really is that mountaintop experience. And I think one of the reasons it it is that way is because of how expertly Bach deals with both the happier and the, the sadder parts of, of our existence through the text of the Mass. And I love I love turning turning Bach's technical masterpieces, trying to get as much of the human emotion out of it as possible. And the B minor is is just such a a miraculous work in its ability to so easily be human. The question I always ask is, what does it say to us today? It speaks to our humanity today. How do you talk about the contemporary way that this work can interact with us? Well, there's some really interesting things about the B minor mass. 
you know, Bach, he really intended it to be a sort of compendium of his work throughout his life. And therefore, there are a number of different styles in which he writes during the Mass. And some of it, he's attempting to reference a a very old style of composition, more like what he imagined Renaissance music would sound like. And some of it was an attempt to be very modern, to borrow from the, the more modern operatic trends of the time, which eventually snuck their way into church music, as it so often happens in music history. And I think the way it can relate to us now is you see a person taking from every moment in their life old styles of composition. He borrowed from pieces that he had written previously and repurposed them and crafted them into this monumental work. And then he was writing in the newest styles as well. And there's something about the fact that he did this that aids in a listener's ability to reflect. I'm not quite sure how Bach does it. There's some other things I could point to, but it it is such a great point of reflection to go from the beginning of the piece to the end. And I find it easier for me to reflect on my own life. Partially, that's because of that balance of joy and, and sadness that Bach seems to bring into the Mass. And I think the, the longer I've been alive, the more I understand how joy and sadness are inextricable parts of any one person's story. And the way Bach takes you through that in the B minor Mass, of course, using the story of, of, of Jesus' crucifixion as well at the, at the center of the Mass, you, you see what a person's life in joy and sadness how that's reflected. And I just think he does such a profound job of, of helping a listener do that through this piece that, that it um, will always be timely. It will always be relevant. And I think especially because we as a society have been through a lot of collective ups and downs recently, if we take maybe the last five to 10 years. And uh, I think we might have a cultural perspective now of both joy and sadness, of loss and of change. And I think the last thing I would say uh, is that the only part in the Mass that repeats is there's a setting of the Gracias Agimus TV at the end of the Gloria, you know, which is a, a text about thanks, which then Bach repurposes at the end of the Mass, the final movement, the Dona Nobis Pacem, grant us peace and they sound different to me it's the exact same music slightly different text but what you find the gracias occurs near the beginning of the mass and the dona nobis pacem occurs at the end of the mass and you feel so different having gone through the entire mass hearing the same music to cap it all off it helps you realize what journey you've gone on and I don't know. I, I, I think it's truly miraculous and, and something that everyone can attach to. I think it makes us want to say, I'd like to try that. I'd like to experience what he's saying. That sounds incredible. <laughs> it, it truly is. I, I have a very active imagination, and I find myself daydreaming about, about the Mass and letting it kind of unfold in my mind, and I can't help but become emotional 
even thinking about the journey from the beginning of the Mass to the end of the Mass. So I really, I really hope that people will come and experience it. And again, because it's my first time getting to conduct it, the, the effort and energy and enthusiasm that I am pouring into this right now is so, it's just coming from a, a place of having to wait for many years before finally getting to do this. And, and so my, my excitement is, is very palpable. Dr. Christopher Jackson, Artistic Director and Conductor of the Bach Choir of Bethlehem and the Bach Festival Orchestra, speaking with us about the 2023 Bethlehem Bach Festival, and it is the 115th annual Bach Festival in Bethlehem, Fridays and Saturdays, May 12th and 13th and 19th and 20th, in and around Bethlehem. We heard from Dr. Jackson that there will be special guest soloists, and one of those soloists we know most deeply is cellist Loretta O'Sullivan. Loretta O'Sullivan has been with the Four Nations Ensemble for many years, and she was in residence with that ensemble in northeastern Pennsylvania for a decade, I would believe, and she has been here at WVIA talking with us about music and her playing and her own cello. And recently, during the pandemic, she worked with a poet, and they created original pieces in which Loretta O'Sullivan would respond to poetry. So she will be featured in a double concerto of Vivaldi and also in, as we heard from Dr. Jackson, the CPE Bach Cello Concerto, in A minor. But there is so much music of Bach himself, and we know that each weekend builds to a complete performance of this work, the Bach B minor Mass. They would encourage us to get to the festival in person. We have two weekends to choose from, but there is a live stream option on May 13th, and that will be of this grand work, the Bach B minor Mass. We're hearing it now, performed by the Bach Choir of Bethlehem and the Bach Festival Orchestra under Greg Fumfgeld in a Dorian recording, but this will be a live stream worldwide May 13th beginning at 2.30. For more information on the 115th annual Bethlehem Bach Festival, running Fridays and Saturdays, May 12th and 13th, and 19th through 20th, you can check their website simply bach.org, B-A-C-H dot org, B-A-C-H dot org.